From Advisory Board, we are bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. I brought with you today a conversation with my colleague, Shay Pratt, who oversees health system strategy and service line research at Advisory Board. Hey, Shay, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Doing well. Where are you calling into this podcast from? Well, I'm at my house, uh, and I live in Alexandria, Virginia, and I've been here for about six weeks, <laughs> trying my best to be productive. I'm surrounded by animals, two dogs, two cats that like to watch me work every day. It's been, been interesting. No way. I, I just moved to Alexandria, and I am also surrounded by just one animal, but maybe this is a good excuse to, to get more. Well, Shay, what are we here to talk about? We're here to talk about how health systems are thinking about restarting their elective procedures, scheduled surgeries, whatever we want to call them. The things that were basically knocked offline as COVID admissions started happening and uh, uh, the world changed. And this is probably the most common question that we are getting right now. So let's go ahead and just dive right in. When you're thinking about how hospitals should be evaluating if they are ready to actually reopen, how should hospital leaders do that? Well, there's really five basic checks that you have to do. And I think the most important is, are you behind the crest or the hill as it is for some organizations? And how would an organization know that they're actually at the crest of the peak or the hill? Well, you have to look at a number of measures across time. The White House says you should have 14 days consecutive decline in new cases and hospitalizations. I think that's fine. That actually may delay the restart even further. So they're thinking about more facility-centric stuff, like looking at their own three-day rolling average of new admissions, ICU patients, and so on. And can we start to really think about you know being behind this potential surge? And that's, that's the main thing. You don't want to restart and then all of a sudden have a wave of new COVID patients coming in the door and you're in trouble all over again. All right. So an organization needs to be on the other side of that hill or crest. What's the second thing? Well, the second thing is if organizations have state, local, county approval to restart again. Some states, it's actually more clear than others. Who's got the power to, to make that directive? You know, no one wants to start doing procedures before the government has agreed that it's a good idea. And you mentioned capacity to actually be able to restart. Is that where you're going with your, your third thing? Yeah, the third thing is basically staff, beds, ventilators. Do you have enough of that supply? And what type of supply do you have? You, know, you have to have enough to take care of all the COVID patients and then hopefully some additional capacity to gradually bring in more scheduled procedures that are not COVID related. We were talking to one organization who said that they're going to have a, at all times, guaranteed capacity to take any kind of COVID admissions or mini surges that happen in the future. So some organizations are thinking that way of always having some extra capacity online. And that's that's a pretty different you know, management philosophy than where organizations were before, before this all started. That's right. I think a big theme we're going to talk about is that reopening for business isn't like turning on a light switch. So preparing for some of those mini surges. No. And the goal is not to max out your beds all at once as fast as possible either. The, the goal is to take this iteratively and, uh, and see how things go over time. And you mentioned there were five things. If I'm counting correctly, we've done three. What's next? The fourth and fifth are really the big limiting factors, I think. PPE is going to be 
um, one of the things that will determine how much you can bring online and when. Mm. For organizations that have a great supply, great. Uh, you can might be able to start doing a, a significant amount of volume and keep that going into the future. But some organizations don't really have a lot of PPE yet, or it's really inconsistent in terms of how they get access to it and when. So the best advice here is just to make sure you can project out weeks at a time that you'll have a steady supply of PPE. And, and some are unfortunately still in a only a matter of, of days in terms of their supply on hand. So PPE will, will be essential. And um, PPE is also important because some services require less PPE than others. And so you may want to start start with those. Hmm. And then the, the last thing is testing. Most organizations we talk to plan to test every single patient that they invite back in for, for surgery or procedures. They want to make sure, one, that they're not operating on anybody that is positive. Two, it's really important because, you know, you want to signal to the patients that safety is the number one priority and mm. testing is actually going to be really helpful for that. Ensuring that patients feel a sense of safety when they come back to the hospital, that's going to be really important. It's something that we've talked about in previous podcast episodes as well. What's your recommendation to health system leaders to go about engaging with the community as they think about reopening their hospitals? This is probably the biggest rate limiting factor outside of the forces that we just discussed is patient apprehension of accessing any type of healthcare facility whatsoever. There's a few surveys out now showing that as much as half of people are still planning to take several months off <laughs> before accessing or going into any type of healthcare facility. And that's mm. really a problem. Organizations are not seeing the same amount of emergent cases, uh, heart attacks, strokes, and, and the like. Hmm. So people are avoiding healthcare facilities that shouldn't be. It's going to be really difficult to talk to your community about what's different and uh, how the experience is going to be different when you come back for that, for that procedure. So communication to patients matters at the macro or community level, but also at the individual patient level. I'm curious, have you heard any example pieces of communication or example talking points that have resonated well or have the potential to resonate well? Well, there are very few organizations that have actually restarted scheduled procedures to date, but the planning is interesting in terms of how they're going to communicate the, to the patients, how they're going to flow through the system and how they'll be managed. So for example, the testing is a big one. We're going to test you three to four days ahead of time, get the results, communicate the results, and uh, that has to be in hand before we proceed. When you actually come to the facility, there might be different routes that people have to take. They might actually send patients to a specific area of a waiting mm -hmm. room rather than just say, take a seat anywhere. A lot of those types of logistical flow procedures are going to be you know, different, and you need to talk to patients ahead of time on an individual level about all that stuff. Right. You don't want patients being confused about where they're going. That's right. And uh, you, want, you want them to go straight to, <laughs> straight to that place. There are other challenges people have to figure out. Parking is going to be a real challenge. We've heard concerns from organizations that have downtown hospitals that individuals are concerned about going downtown for anything. So there's a lot of unique challenges to communication that, that we're going to have to deal with. Because the act of just being a patient who needs to interact with their healthcare system has suddenly gotten a lot more complicated. Yep. One of the most challenging things about this is, you know, this is not a situation where COVID is just going to go away. This is going to be the way of things for 18 months or so, at least. That doesn't mean you have to stop accessing healthcare. This is necessary. 
And it feels like if you are a hospital or health system leader, there's actually this very kind of thin line you need to walk to balance opening up too quickly or too slowly. What are some of the risks of actually moving too fast at opening back up your facility? Well, one is just, you know, the burn rate of PPE and, and other th- other factors like that. You don't want to risk overextending your capacity or supplies. That's one obvious risk. But two is, you know, you want to make sure that the operations, you have that really figured out. And so you likely have to go incrementally and ramp up versus really invite in a lot of volume at once. It'll take time to figure things out and and figure out how to improve the logistical operation and environment that we're going to work to be in in the future. I would say that you know most organizations are being very cautious here and are really thinking carefully about how they have a you know really measured ramp up over time. So if organizations are largely being rightfully patient, what are the risks of potentially opening too slowly? I think the Biggest, biggest concern that a lot of organizations have is will their cases move around to their competitors, there be any kind of leakage or movement of referrals elsewhere. I'm not that concerned about it. I think that uh, you know, most patients who are scheduled for a surgery, they have a relationship with their physician. They're not likely to change that. So the biggest concern is if you are in an environment where a physician can move their cases around. That's that's what I think might be most on guard about. I've heard from many people that their surgeons are really itching to get back to things and um, have been already asking their administration leaders about nights and weekends, how much OR time can I get and how fast. So there's a lot of pressure you know, coming from uh, procedurals out there, which I can understand. There's also some concern about the freestanding environment and will ASCs come online before the hospital settings. I don't think there's that much of a concern about that. I think they'll be timed pretty closely together. Yeah, but the competitive dynamics could potentially be worse if physicians are more interested in ramping up quickly. And I want to underline how amazing it is that you just said that physicians are asking to work nights and weekends. Yes, that's uh, one of the things that I think a lot of organizations are thinking about is, you know, does this mean that we need to think beyond the nine to five model for ROR's in the future? Probably so, especially given the amount of physician enthusiasm for returning to surgical cases. And so that's another piece of the kind of operating model that organizations have to think about is, you know, how do we actually get more cases in within the assets we have? We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. If you want us to cover a topic or have feedback about this podcast, you can leave that right in our iTunes page or email us at podcastsadvisory.com. That's podcasts with an S. Okay, so let's say an organization decides they're ready to restart. Where should they actually begin? Do you want the complex answer or the simple answer? Let's let's go into the complex answer to start. Well, every organization is is thinking of this problem is creating some sort of prioritization. Uh, we have our own version of this, and it really starts with clinical urgency as one category. The second is feasibility. That could basically mean staff, PPE, and the like. And then the third is strategic and financial importance of the of the procedure. As we know, you know, it's you know organizations are losing millions of dollars a week, and we have to think about the procedures we bring in early and how they'll help organizations recover in this period. So some combination of clinical urgency factors, feasibility factors, and financial factors is going to probably dictate 
a decent prioritization list for, for most organizations. And of course, that analysis depends quite a bit institution to institution, which is why I'm guessing it was the complex answer. Now tell me, what's the simple version? Well, the first practical thing is just start where the backlog is. Mm -hmm. For a lot of the procedures that you've had to cancel, uh, there's a known backlog, known patients. They have real problems. They may be taken care of, and uh, they're waiting to come in ostensibly. So the first place to start is where are those patients and, and where's the backlog that you can get your hands around right now? The second thing is those scheduled procedures. Let's make sure that they don't burn through all the PPE and they're not hugely resource intensive that'll create a problem down the road. The third thing is you don't want to risk ICU capacity. You want to have some ICU capacity online for COVID patients if necessary. So most organizations are thinking about starting with either med surge on the inpatient side or outpatient surgery. And that's where patients are going to feel perhaps a little bit more comfortable. I think so. Some organizations are betting that most patients will feel really comfortable coming to an outpatient setting versus an acute care setting. So some organizations are starting exclusively in the ASC or hospital outpatient department arena. You mentioned that prioritization is really important. I'm curious, what should hospitals have at the bottom of their to-do list? Or said another way, where should they not be starting? So there's a couple of things that I've heard organizations just kind of staying away from for the immediate term. A lot of those are diagnostic procedures or services like endoscopy, colonoscopy, EGD. These are things that, one, actually require a lot of PPE. And two, there's a risk of aerosolization and, and the like to some of these procedures. So it may not make sense to start there. And so that's, I think, one group of services where people are sort of taking a wait-and-see approach. The other area that I think is going to be a little slower to come online is straight-up physician office visits. People have had such success pushing things to virtual mm -hmm. interactions with their physicians. It's going well for now. They're able to manage a lot of patient volume. So there's probably going to be a slow ramp up back to, I would say, in-person physician visits. So Shay, how should organizations balance managing the backlog of patients that they already have, but also thinking about the next wave of patients that are going to need care now that necessarily aren't in the backlog already? Well, I think this is what healthcare strategy leaders are really trying to wrestle to the ground right now is, is, you know, it's fine to think about the backlog that you know exists. And for many of these specialties like orthopedics, you probably have three months of cases lined up. Hmm. But then the, then the question becomes, what, what happens after that? Uh, we haven't actually been doing the upstream work to generate the downstream volume. And a lot of it's been on hold. And you know, we, while we have been doing a lot of physician office visits via telehealth, that actually might further delay the teeing up of, of downstream procedures if we can't see more patients in person in the future. Shay, we've been talking up to this point about strategy questions. When do you open back up? How do you prioritize services and patients when you make that go, no go decision? But I think there's actually a lot of operational considerations as well. We talked about one of them, right? Just the fact that it's going to be much more complex to actually interact with patients in person. What are some of the other operational considerations that leaders need to be thinking about? I think the key thing is it's really not just bringing back the procedure or the surgery, but everything that goes into that, that procedure or surgery as well. So it's how the individual is managed preoperatively, postoperatively, 
you need imaging, you need anesthesiology, all these things need to be in place at the same time. Each of those areas is going to have its own challenge with, you know, what it means to come back online. Imaging is is going to be really tough because the imaging leaders we talked to were talking about having to clean the room after every after every scan. Hmm. And that's a really time intensive process. So you're talking about going from say four CTs an hour to two or something like that. Because of course, having something like say a knee surgery isn't as simple as having a primary care visit upstream or an orthopedic visit upstream and deciding you need knee surgery. You're also going to need images and and a whole host of ancillaries to confirm that, which is also going to be creating a bottleneck. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, great example to kind of dive into this and think about how this would work. You're talking about if you have a knee replacement. I've had family members that have had knee replacements, and that is a six-month thing. And uh, there are all kinds of interactions with the system that you actually may want to take virtually. There are scheduling things that have to happen. Uh, how are the schedules going to be trained, and how are they going to you know, deal with this new environment? What is the pre- and post-op process like? How are individuals going to move through the system? How does rehab work? Are you going to think about virtual rehab options? Hmm. Yeah, my, my mom actually had her hip replaced in January of this year. And a common conversation in my family is how happy we are that she got it out of the way because had it not happened on January 2nd of 2020, it might not have happened in 2020 at all. Think about all the interactions that she had with a healthcare system and uh, how many of those interactions are going to be handled differently in the future. Shay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am sure that we are going to have you back again and again as we talk about just all of the complexities to reopening for business. But for now, I want to ask you, what is the one thing you would tell executives to focus on this week? Well, the number one thing to spend a lot of time on is communication, how you're going to talk to your community about services as you restart them, but also how you talk to them about the services that they should already be accessing from you. We hear from a lot of organizations that it's obvious people are avoiding urgent care, heart attacks, strokes, and the like. Uh, there's stories about people with compound fractures not coming into the hospital for treatment. And then you think about restarting care, people are going to be concerned about you know, coming in as well. So communications is really going to be the, the critical thing to get right. As one CEO told us, when they restart procedures and they start to turn that dimmer switch back up again, they have to be able to get this right in terms of patient perception. They want to make sure that patients understand that they take their safety as a first priority, that they're taking every precaution as a safe environment, and they should absolutely be accessing the care they need. And so communicating to the community uh, at large, as well as to the individuals, can be extremely important to the success of restarting. Shay, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Maybe I will see you walking around Alexandria, of course, at a safe distance away. Uh, thanks for having me. I look forward to updating you on all these recovery plans and restart plans as we learn more across time. Reopening for business isn't as easy as just turning the lights back on. In fact, it's a challenge that is going to be as complex as the pandemic itself. We've been thinking a lot about this at Advisory Board, so I've added a couple of important links into the show notes. Because as always, we're here to help.